y'all, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys will tell us about General Orders Plus 8. No. Yet, Oh, it's too different? <laughs> okay. <laughs> General Orders Plus 8. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered, that is a very a interesting game. Hey y'all, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys tell us about General Orders, Plus 8, Yes 8, and some 5-minute initiatives covering... What? What? Plus 8, Yes 8, 5-minute initiatives covering... It's like... it's like. Oh, it's not eight. even a game. Oh my gosh. Okay, alright, I got it, I got it, I got it. Step aside. Hey y'all, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys tell us about general orders, plus eight, yes, eight, five-minute initiatives covering some of the hot new games they've recently played. Hopefully the episode goes much better than this intro did. Welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 302, Feel So Different. I'm Tony. I am Marty. What, is this like been the three of the past four episodes have been like a it's not. It's not an homage. What is it? What is it? a memorial? Tribute. A memorial to a uh, to an artist that just recently passed away. Yes, which means these are artists back when we were young, or and they're passing away, which makes me wonder about you know us. Oh, people may be wondering. This was from Sinead O'Connor. Sinead O'Connor. Yes, it was one of her deep cuts. But I never, I never listened to a lot of her music. I didn't. I think. It, I think. I think the one wasn't. Uh, something, something to you or something. That one was just so overplayed. So overplayed, I can't even remember it. So I know. But before we really get started here, I forgot to do one thing. I am keeping my daughter's dogs again, and I forgot to remove their collars. So the jingle and the jangle in the back, Marty can try to edit that crap out. You know, they have kennels that they can put those dogs in. They well, no, she because coming through with her. Um, oh, oh, there's the jingle, jangle. With my son-in-law, it's hard for me to get that out. I, you know, I'm I'm so used to not saying that. Mm-hmm. I mean, for you, you know, it's your daughter-in-law, and it's like um, her fiance, her boyfriend. Now it's my son-in-law. You could just say the first name. Oh, why would I have to recognize him? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> However, I do want to recognize something he did for us when he came up. He he. <laughs> He goes, this family, so Noah is a um, bodybuilder, and somebody in our neighborhood is uh, moving out, and they were doing a fire sale of their house. I don't know why all of a sudden they're doing this, but anyway, they have this very nice treadmill. Mm-hmm. Donna's treadmill does not keep speed very well. Okay. So, you, so you're hitting the button, and it says it's seven miles per hour is the speed of the treadmill. Okay, seven miles per hour. That's a pretty fast pace, right? It is a pretty fast pace i believe yes but the minute you step on it it goes to like three and a half. Oh, okay yeah <laughs> so it, it doesn't do a good job of keeping up i mean it's worked great for the family and what we've used it for and anyway so we were went to go get that treadmill and you know saving some money and we, we purchase it we bring it home and there was a miscalculation somewhere first off we thought he helped me carry the other one down. And the motor on those things is extremely heavy. Have mm-hmm. you ever had, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, no, I've not tried to move one. So. so he helped me carry it down the steps. And thank goodness for his muscles and my lack of. 
he was able to carry it out with me. And then we just rolled it out there and we put a um, post out there on the vineyards for sale sign and said, free to pick up, just come and get it out my driveway. Mm -hmm. So that was the good thing. And then we went to go get the other one. So we went, we rolled up and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, this one's a little bit bigger than ours. This is not a good thing. We couldn't get it in the back of the Highlander. So mm-hmm. he's pushing it on the, its wheels down the street. Luckily, it's right down the street from us. Okay. So the big boy is pushing this thing down there. We get here. I have to dismantle half of it to get it up the stairs. We're getting ready to carry it up the stairs. And I'm like, okay, so this is what's going to happen. Re- Rebecca, you're shorter. You're strong enough. You can lift the front end of it. I will stabilize the... um middle of it and Noah will have the back of it and we'll carry it up the stairs. And Rebecca goes, no, let mom be in the middle because she's smaller than you. And then you and Noah can carry up the back. So we're getting ready to go up the stairs and we're going and, and Noah's struggling a little bit, but he's got it. He's like, I'm going to hit the wall. I said, don't worry about the wall. I know how to spackle. I can paint. And I say, let me help you. He says, just get out of here. I can do it by myself. Thank you. So in other words, that was a translation for old man, get out of my way. Mm, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I can do that. And sure enough, they just lugged it up there. It was the best move I've ever done. You know how I could have saved you more money? How? You just go outside and walk or run. You don't even need a treadmill. Have you been outside today? Hey, that, I mean, it builds perseverance. It builds character. Yeah. And then when you're passed out on the street. Well, you get used to it after a while. Yeah, after someone revives you, <laughs> splashes water on your face. Uh, but but that has nothing to do with what's in the intro. Oh, because, no, no, because no, I'm extremely confused right now. People are like, where is this going? So this is going, so that's the first event where, where there was almost not a 302 because okay. I almost got crushed by a treadmill or, or my um. Oh, that was the first, we didn't know this, we didn't know this was the story that 302, you didn't set this up as 302 might not have happened because. Well, 302 might not have happened because of the next story. Okay. All right. All right. People have already tuned out and we'll get to games here in a minute. I did something I've never done before. Told an interesting story. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> And does that hurt coming from you? Not no, really. <laughs> not really. You've heard my stories. Yeah, let's go. Let's talk about putting together a lawnmower part again. Well, that was the end of the lawnmower segments. That's fair. Yeah. Um, so I went out. I was going to grill tonight. You do this as well. I turn on the grill. I'm, I'm sitting there and I look over at the grill and I'm like, why isn't it heating up? So I open it up. I said, oh man, I forgot to ignite it. Oh boy. What was the gas I, on? Gas was on. Okay. There was almost... A no 302 with Tony. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Donna comes running out and she goes, what the hell just happened? I said, well, I'm blown up, sir. Oh man. I am so thankful. There was a panel on the front of that grill. Ooh, I didn't let it air out enough. Ooh, that was dude. I've never done that. That was, that was interesting. Oh my gosh. I got to play that clip now for y'all haven't seen stripes. Y'all, y'all need to go. Y'all, y'all need to go watch Stripes. Blown up, sir! That's one of the funniest lines in the movie. So anyway, oh. that's why we now have 302. We almost didn't have 302 because I about blew myself up or got crushed by a treadmill or my son-in-law almost killed me. So recently, I have transitioned to charcoal. I am not using gas anymore because I used... I can't remember. I said, let's just try charcoal one time. And the family loved it. And it's like, well, crap, I'm not going to go back, go back to gas anymore. Are you using briquettes or lumps? Briquettes. Are you using lighter fluid? 
Okay. I mean, like old school grill. Mm-hmm. Like put down the, the briquettes mm-hmm. and stack them and heat them, pour them out there and Pyramid clean it out up. when it's over. Yeah, and dump it out when it's done. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got my little charcoal grill, but it it takes forever to get hot. It does, it does. But there is a different taste mm-hmm. with charcoal than propane, for sure. Yes, both are probably carcinogenic and cause cancer in rats somewhere. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you're eating lighter fluid or whatever's coming off that those briquettes. But uh, hey, cavemen did it for years, and look where we are now. That's true. That's true. They, they got through. They got us here, right? So they mm-hmm. survived. So I was like, man, I, I about blew myself up there, but uh, you know, that's okay. You know, the good news is that you mm-hmm. know, I, I almost singed all the hair off, but you know, at least I, I'm sitting in my comfy chair here. I'm all <laughs> ready to record. I am, I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's so smooth. And what kind Thank of you. chair? You're welcome. What kind, what kind of chair are you sitting in, by the way? I'm sitting in an E-Wed. <laughs> Where you can get 30% off over at E-Win. That's right. Oh, uh, if you've got people that are getting ready to go to college time and it's time to fill, deck out their dorm, I hate all those Amazon commercials with a, come see what's in my dorm. Look at this. See, Well, number one, you should watch a TV to where there are no commercials and you wouldn't have to see those. Well, that means I'd have to pay more for Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus <laughs> streaming app on Amazon go. sucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> it do absolutely you know a, sucks. Do you not have a smart TV where you can download the different streaming apps? It's old. Okay. No, right. no, Paramount's not Paramount is not on my TV on the app section. Got it. Understand. And, the, and I bought the Amazon Cube, which I mm-hmm. thought was I was the first adopter of it, mm-hmm. and it sucks. Mm. And I'm we like, just use, we just use the stick and it's really good. I mean, okay. it's like the third generation 4K super fast, so it's a really good one. Yeah, I've never had a problem with any of my Roku devices. Mm, never. Okay. Yeah. And they at least update the apps. Mm-hmm. I don't think Amazon does. And if anybody works for Amazon, I'm sorry if I'm hurting your feelings, but your Amazon Cube thing, and that's first generation, sucks. Well, that's that's years old. I don't, do they even make that anymore? What? So after so many years, you got to get rid of stuff? Planned obsolescence, baby. That's how we do technology around here. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why uh, Vanessa was saying I don't think the dryer is heating exactly right anymore and I looked at my watch yep been about six seven years about mm-hmm. that time I mean the first dryer that we had lasted like 15 16 years and I remember when we went and got it replaced and the guy said well just let you know from now on you'll never have a dryer that lasts as long as that again Funny you should say that. Uh-oh. My my aunt and uncle had to replace their stovetop recently after 30 years. And when they bought the new one, the guy said, I hate to break it to you, <laughs> but I'll see you again in five to six years. I know. L- luckily, our, our washer dryer cycle is off by a couple of years. So, you know, every couple of years we have to replace one of them. But uh yeah, man, planned obsolescence. It is 100% a thing. And I can't, oh, I just get used to it and I don't I like know. it. So, yeah, so about the chair, <laughs> that was a nice little squirrel. The reason why we're bringing up the chairs, you know, we used to talk about the, the E-Win racing chairs that we got and, and they have worked with us before to help set up a discount code for the, the chairs and stuff that they have out there. They came back to us, guys, it's been a year since we talked to them. They said, hey, guess what, guys? We have a, a brand new chair we would like for y'all, for y'all to check out. And I'm, I'm still kind of updating all my 
my sons with game chairs. So I said, sure, Travis, you want my old chair? I'll get a new chair. Travis like, heck yeah, I'm all into that. So they have a new thing called the, uh, it's the champion series chair. And I just got this thing put together and I will say you, you've put together a couple of the chairs, right? Yes. When you open the box, I cannot believe how well everything's laid out. Everything is carefully laid into foam. Everything is kind of sealed inside of a box. It is just an uh, easy experience to get everything out of the box. What's crazy is I assembled this entire chair just by uh, basically uh, inserting and tightening only eight screws. Only eight screws put this whole thing together because it's already so much pre-assembled. Basically, I assembled the, put the back on the seat and put the mechanism on the bottom for up lowering and uh, raising and lowering. The wheels in the base snap right in. The base snaps into the rod underneath, turn it over and it's done. It's, it's done. that fast. I mean, it's over. literally 15 minutes to set um, up this chair. Uh, if you see this little piece of foam right here, check this out. Your pillow. Yeah, I'm jealous of this. It's yeah, magnetic. Yeah. It's magnetic. Yeah. If I don't throw it somewhere. So what's cool about that is you can adjust where it is on the back, where you want it high or low or whatever like that. But if you get rid of it, is there like a metal plate behind your head? That's a great question. Uh, let me push. If it is, it's it's pretty deep into it because I don't feel it. Okay. It must be a pretty strong magnet. Oh, it's probably giving me some sort of cancer now if there's a strong magnet back there. I don't know. Of course, magnets, yeah. they say, are, are good for you and stuff. Yeah, they, oh. they re realign your posture. Yeah, so uh, hold on. How's it do? This? Oh, yeah. It's um, magnetic. Uh, oh, get the freak for the, out for of the here. armrest, so you can take them off and clean them and everything and and, and, and put them in a magnet. No, pops right back no. Up. This was, everything on here is magnetic. Where it just kind of pops in there and holds in the, uh, not everything, the armrest and in the neck thing. The chair that you have, uh, will hold up to a person for 300 pounds. This chair is rated for 400 pounds. Okay, well, that gives you about 300 more pounds of people <laughs> on your chair. Yeah, so, so, oh, but the best thing, the best thing about this, I don't know if you can see it, there is a knob behind me. It has lumbar support where there's a knob that you can dial in and it has a bar that comes out in the lower back. And this is what I need. I need lumbar support in my back. I usually put a pillow or something back there. The previous chairs, yours has it too, is like a cushion that you have mm -hmm. back there. What's nice about the lumbar support, you can just basically dial it in on exactly what you want it to be. Uh, this has the exact same cloth that you have, which is nice and cool. So okay. this is a serious upgrade over the past chairs that I've had, and it's getting ready to come out uh, really soon. The cool thing is, if you're interested in this, we're going to have a link in our show notes to their site, to this chair. And as always, you can get 30% off by ordering any of their stuff, not just the chairs, but the the desks too. Okay. Well, that will be awesome for some people getting ready to go to college. Go ahead and order it up, have it delivered to the dorm, have people fight over it. Now I'm liking that magnet armrest thing a lot. That is pretty darn cool. Now, does it spin in and out like a Star Trek chair? Like I, that's one where it, Oh, it does have, it's called 4D armrest where they slide uh, forward and back in and out and they're uh -huh. adjustable. Uh, the bottom, oh. you can lo loosen the screws on the bottom so you can bring them, the whole mechanism in. Man, that's almost completely up there with the um, uh, uh, Star Trek captain's uh -huh. chair. Yep. Okay, I like so, that. Yeah, this, 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 is, this is really nice. And what's interesting, I just released a video on Twitter a few weeks ago. The first chair I got from them was three years ago. I used it every day, hours every day, in here recording, playing video games. Last year, I gave it to my son in college, who spent even more hours every day studying, playing video games. That thing hasn't worn out a bit. 
There's no rips, there's no tear, there's no wear marks, and all the mechanisms still work great after three years of heavy use. That's pretty good. And that's one of the more inexpensive chairs, the Knight series. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I love my UN chair, especially the cloth one, especially on these hot days. This way I'm not having to peel my skin off the back of any <laughs> faux leather or anything like that. I have a quick question for you because I'm getting a text from my daughter right now. Yes, yes, go for um, it. And then that will lead to games, actually. So with them being here, that, of course, means that they have played games with me. What was the name of the game that you didn't particularly care for because it did not replace Ethnos? What was it? Arceus Society? Arceus Society. Yes, we recorded that a few episodes ago, and it's not Ethnos. A-R-C-H-E-O-S. She can figure it out. She can figure it out. Okay. Tell them not to get a copy of that. Oh, they really enjoyed it. I told you. I told you. That for people who are who really don't care about the area management and all that, okay, they really enjoyed it. They thought it was interesting on how the you try to can mess up people. And I I had gotten the um, set that had the uh, oh gosh I can't think of the one where you got to play multiple sets at once. Mm-hmm. And, and my daughter really loved it because she won by fifty points. But that holds what I said about that game is you can get a runaway leader. There, if this can happen, if you're not paying attention to the cards that are on the table, and she was able to get, I think, a, two sets of six plus. I mean, that just destroyed. That gave her like 32 points or something like that. But they enjoyed that. But they also got them. I forced them to play Pirate Tales. Yes, absolutely. Thought it was okay. I said, get out. Help me carry the treadmill upstairs, but get out. I said, why do you not like this? And they go, well, it didn't seem like there was much strategy to it. What? I'm like, okay, get out again. So for those who didn't know, we had we ran an ad in our last episode about, uh, what's it called? Pirate Tales. Pirate Tales. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's just, I love games. It's very simple. Draw three. You're going to draw one card at a time. You either play it face up, play it face down, or you keep it. You do that two more times. You have to pick the other two options you didn't choose. Try to collect as many nuts as you can of the same type. But the mm-hmm. scoring is so freaking cool. Yeah, and I'm like, where was not the strategy? Where was not how to put the cards down? Oh, I was just putting cards down. I'm like, no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you try to strategically hide the cards that maybe you want to pick up later? Yeah. And and then I'm looking, and I'm like, okay. In Archaea Society, I will say the one rule that uh, we messed up in our first game where it was you can either take from the display or draw one card. Yes. Yep. That did change that game a lot. Mm, okay. Yeah. Because there was times where there was a one card sitting in the display, and we kept drawing from the top one card only. Yeah. And that did change the card. And then, of course, I think they really liked it because at the end of the game, two monkeys came up back to back, which ended the game right there. Mm, yep. So, so they, they like that tension. Yeah. So they enjoy well, playing that. I, I'm good. So they, they had never played ethnos before. No, but the next time that we're together, I am going to bring ethnos out and I'm going to say, okay, compare which, which you like. I said, I know your mother likes the, this one better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would like to hear a comparison now that they've experienced this one to play the old one and, and see what they, what they think. That'd be really cool. But she texted me and she goes, what were the two games we just played? And so I'm thinking maybe they're rethinking about pirate tales. I said, yeah, y'all, y'all need to play this again. Y'all don't, y'all don't understand. Yeah. Pirates. I mean, I love the scoring mechanism, y'all. 
You only have one of one type of card that scores zero. If you have two of the same type of nut, you take the lower value. Three of the same type of nut, the middle value is the points you get. Four higher, you get the higher one. It's just mm -hmm. a clever scoring way to where you really want to make sure you at least get four of particular uh, type of nuts so you can get a lot of points at the end of the game. So good. So good. I love the idea. When do you raid, man? Do you push your luck? Oh, I want that stack. Will it go one round before it gets to me? It's good. Mm -hmm. And what stunk was I got stuck having to raid because I could not draw three cards because I had an island that had five and one that had three. Yep. So with the five and three, you can never place two cards to the same island. Mm -hmm. And therefore I'm like, oh crap, I've got a raid and I'm sitting there looking at it and I already had two candies. I knew if I took that one, I'd get a third candy because I put it there. FYI, you get three, one candy is five, two, uh, five points, two is 10. 10. Mm -hmm. Yep. And three is zero. <laughs> zero points. <laughs> all, all, you ate too much candy, you get no points for any candy. Yeah. And I was the fool that put it there, and I knew if I took that one, I was going to blow my candies anyway. So I took the other island. Guess what? There's another candy in there. Oh, yeah. God. I, mm. Pirate Tales was a pleasant surprise from Gen Con. It really was. Yeah, and just, that, that was by Skybound Games. Skybound Games, yes. And then I think the other hit that you really like, too, is Rami Raimi. Those two games are just really good, fun, simple games. Yes. You heard us talk about Imperial Miners. You know you'll want Imperial Miners, right? Simple engine building game, plays fast, simultaneous gameplay. Well, guess what? It's now available for pre-order over at Shop portalgames.com so you don't want to miss out on this opportunity to get this game as soon as it ships because when it's getting ready to go out if you have that pre-order in place you're going to be one of the first people to get this game that plays from one to five players and is in the imperial settlers universe and there's two bonus mini expansions as an appreciation gift for you just for pre-ordering we didn't get the mini expansions tony <laughs> i'm happy that we got the game <laughs> yeah, I, me too because I actually enjoy the game quick light engine building game really good for teaching people the simple concepts of how to build uh, how, to, how to make an engine builder so this is available right now pre-order Imperial Miners over at shopportalgames.com as I said in our Gen Con episode I made a beeline over to Osprey Games Thursday morning to pick up general orders a game designed by David Thompson, Trevor Benjamin, illustrated by Alex Green. I knew they had limited copies. They air freighted those bad boys in. I plunked down my money. I said, thank you very much. And I left. And Tony, you and I got to get together during lunch and play. We got to get together before game night and play. And what this is touted as is as a quick playing area control game that's driven by worker placement. Does that succinctly say what this is? Yes. Let's just go with that. Yep. I mean, if you understand all those things, that's exactly what this game is. Each of you are controlling armies. You're trying to position your armies on a board with hex spaces on it. You do some combat when you infringe on somebody else, and you're going to go four rounds. And after the fourth round, if nobody's taken over either person's HQ, you look at the spaces on the board. Some of them are worth victory points. Whoever has the most victory points of the spaces they control wins the game. Plain and simple. The battling is pretty straightforward too. You move in on somebody's territory. This is one of the things, you know, people are always worried about board, board games with battling is, you know, mm -hmm. oh, it's going to be long and drawn out. Nope. You just move your pieces into another 
area. You compare the defender rolls a die based on that value on the dice. It could be either zero, one, or two. The opposing army then has to remove that number of pieces and you keep plucking pieces off the board until there is one left or none left and whoever is there still has control. So for instance, if I roll in with four and Marty has two there, Marty rolls the die. He gets a one. He will remove one of mine. I will remove one of mine and he will remove one of his. I will remove one of mine. He'll remove his last piece. There's one piece left. That's mine. I'm now in control, but my army's been depleted so that Marty might be able to move in and easily take over mine. Attrition. Imagine mm-hmm. that. You know what I really like about that system is the highest value that, on that die that you can roll, like you said, is a two, which means is if you roll up into a space with three or more uh, than what the opponent has, it's guaranteed win. Mm-hmm. So you you can guarantee a win if you can get the right pieces in there. Now, you may lose a lot of forces, like you said, but you know you're going to come out by controlling it. I, I like that deterministic part where I don't know exactly what's going to happen. You can guarantee a win if you want. Unless they play a card. Oh, yeah. You knew there's going to be cards involved here. Mm-hmm. So one of the actions you can take is you can tell your general to go out and get some special orders and draw some cards And these cards will change outcomes based on the action you're taking. If you're moving troops or doing a bombardment or maybe repositioning or uh, recruiting more troops onto the board, those cards can come into play. So once again, go back to that example. I move in there. Marty goes, hey, I'm defending this line, slaps down a card and says, I get to roll two of these dice. So you thought you could bring in five to wipe out my three. Let's see what happens here, bucko. And he rolls two dice, rolls a four on me. Wipes out four of my guys. I got one guy standing there against all of his army, and I've lost. I'm done. (laughs) And how this game is set up, you're going to have four commanders. Each of you start with four commanders that are essentially your workers. And there's spaces on the board that you can place your worker that you'll be able to take an action. For example, every space on the board has an option called advance. Very straightforward. I put an advance marker in a place. I will be able to take some of my uh, discs, which represent troops, from an adjacent area's and move them into that area where I've placed the worker at a max up to five per area. So that's how you move troops around the board. But how you get more troops onto the board, there is a board off to the side, which also has some some action spaces. It's called support action, where you can reinforce. Each of you have reserves. Uh, you can uh, deploy a commander onto that uh, board on the side and then take uh, a number of units based on wherever you place the piece on the support board. One of them, I think, is six. One of them is five. If, obviously, if you, if you want to get there first, you get more. And you could just put them anywhere where you already control spaces on the board as long as you don't exceed five. So that's how you deploy forces on the board and how you move them about. And then, Tony, as you said, that's where the conflict starts happening is when you start moving and actually start battling each other. So where's the strategy in this game? It's positioning. Looking at where the highest victory points are, and that's what we're going to be fighting over. Usually, they're right in the middle of the board. Right. Uh, there's uh, what I love about this. We'll talk about this in a second. But there's two sides of the uh, of the board, and both of them are very different. But the one where you just have uh, land combat, there's a center center city that if you can control it, it's worth a lot of points. You get an extra defense die uh, when you roll. But Tony, that's the advance worker placement spots isn't the only thing on the board. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Marty. There is a spot called barrage now the barrage is basically your artillery cannons you're calling in the barrage from the back you're having to spot the forces that may be 
three hexes out from your barrage zone. And if you place a token there, place your general there, your command order there, that you will then get that opportunity to roll two dice and shell the mess out of the opposing forces. There's no friendly fire here either. I am <laughs> going after Marty's people. And once again, oh, look, here comes a card. I'll get to roll four dice. Yeah. Oh, man, that can decimate a zone in a heartbeat, especially if he just places a bunch of units there. Yep. So that you can use barrage and try to weaken a space. And then maybe next turn, you take your units that's in a space beside of it, try to move in and take it over. And by the way, we talked about these cards. How do you get those cards? The other spot on the support board is where you can place one of your commanders to draw cards into your hand. And that's really the main actions that you're going to be taking over the course of four rounds. It's mm -hmm. a fast, fast moving game. You don't, you don't have time to turtling or any of this thing because to be honest with you, I don't see without extreme luck, can you get to the other HQ if they're building up the forces? It, it would be tough. Mm -hmm. And also in the center of the board, randomly placed are various tokens that will give you the ability to maybe enhance your deployment, put out additional troops, or draw additional cards, or bring another commander onto the field that gives you, allow, gives you the ability to take an additional action on your turn. These tokens are out there on the board. Those spots are in the victory zones as well, so there is a constant battle there. And believe it or not, they can swing the, the tide of battle. First game that we played, you got the token that was basically gives you an extra worker, an extra commander, mm -hmm. and you held on that space the entire time. I could not get you off of it. So what that means is over four rounds, you got to place one extra worker every round and you just annihilated me with that. Yes. I was, and that's, that was my strategy. Once I took control of that, I knew I had the high ground. Mm -hmm. Everything else you sent at me, that was going to be hamburger heel, baby. You were, <laughs> nice. I was, I was going to barrage that if I could. I was going to set up my card so I could defend that so that maybe I can loosen up your forces that allow me to sweep in later and, and then flank you and take some of the higher victory points. I got lucky on dice rolls. I will say that some of my dice rolls were pretty extreme, but you know, still. Yeah, but again, if you want to make sure you win, we talked about earlier how you can guarantee a win. But here's the thing, y'all. That's one side of the board. You flip the other side of the board and it introduces aircraft. Now, not only do you have the land combat, the land units, there are zones marked on the board where your aircraft can go. And there's special actions that you can take on the supply board. The supply board flips over, adds a couple extra actions like taking off, allows you to add more of your uh, airplanes into areas that you, uh, air zones that you control. You can move into air zones. You can do aerial combat, which works exactly the same way as land combat. And Tony, it adds one new action on your turn. You can now bomb. So let's say you're holed up in this one little place on the ground that has a lot of victory points. If I can get my planes into that zone, I can bombard uh, that spot right there. And what I like the theme of this. You remove planes from the zone and each plane you remove gives you a die that you can roll. And then you roll the dice and do the damage. I like the theme of that where... Mm -hmm. The, the planes have, have dropped their payload. That's it. They now need to fly away and go reload from somewhere. So, see, you're, you're kinder than I am. I figured they may have gotten AFK or uh, what was it? Flak. Aircraft fire, took oh, them out, oh, oh, shot I them down. Some flak, some flak got into them and they, they unfortunately lost their way back. They were shot down and 
you know, now guess what? You got to, you got to rebuild them. You got to bring them up from the back. See, I have faith in my bomb runs. Mm-hmm. I know they're coming. I know the boys are coming back home. I didn't do a good job on that one. I'm controlling those air zones. That's, it just brings a, another dimension to the board game. You're no longer on land. You've got to think about the air. You got to think about a bombing run that's going to be done. How do you protect your troops? If that bombing run is done, you still have barrage to worry about. There's no way to attack planes other than doing some dog fighting. I enjoyed having that aspect in the game as well. Yeah. So that idea is y'all there's two sides of the board. Both play totally different. Oh, by the way, Tommy, we forgot another one on the land side. You got pair drop where you can just mm. pick a spot and, and drop people in behind enemy lines. Just another way to uh, for strategy. Again, these are specific spots on the board where you'll place your commander to take that action. There's only one barrage per side, for example. So you just can't be barraging it uh, you know, every time that you go. But you've only got four commanders to place typically uh, that you can use. So decisions are very tight. Assuming there's no stuff where you can get extra commanders that means only 16 actions per game that's pretty tight and you got to make really good decisions with those 16 actions games over in no time is one of my favorite things about this i mean you don't 30 minutes at the max at the max max. yeah yeah not a lot of back and forth with battle Mm -hmm. stacking of actions none of that's going on here i mean it's possible marty and i didn't see it i didn't see where we were you didn't have time to get a fistful of cards to be able to play it's one of those games that is like hey let's get in a quick two-player game right before game night no one else is here slap that on the table we'll have it set up in no time rules will come back easy for those who played it you know it's an easy teach really enjoy it if you get an opportunity you know you got somebody that you can you know get those two-player games i think it's one that you should be putting on your shelves yeah so one thing we've been playing a lot of historical games and we really like those i will say when it comes to the historical aspect of this game it's a little bit lighter on the theme, but that's actually addressed in the rule book. Um, it says, uh, a historical note, a very small paragraph. This game allows players to take on the role of generals in two different Second World War theaters, uh, the Alpine terrain of Northern Italy and the islands of the Pacific. While actions and settings are historically based, this is not a simulation game. The core mechanic of worker placement is an obvious abstraction from the choices available to the generals at the time. So they weren't trying to recreate these battles using worker placement. It's just they took a theme and they created this area control battle over land and air with with just nothing more than some simple worker placement. Again, Tony, anything these guys put out, David Thompson, Trevor Benjamin, I, I can't think of a game they've put out recently that I didn't enjoy. And I'm, I'm keeping this one too. It's a small box. doesn't take up a lot of shelf space and very inexpensive. Yeah. This is one that me and the son-in-law could definitely play. So if it disappears from your shelves, I don't know where it went to. <laughs> so this is general orders. Again, this is from Osprey games. Keep an eye on it as it'll be coming out pretty soon. All right, if you got some Gen Con envy going on, you can cure that envy. All you got to do is head over to miniaturemarket.com. They've got, all the, they've got all the newest releases that you want. They've got old releases that you didn't know you need, but you actually should to help get that basket up to $100 so you can get free shipping. And don't forget about Miniature Market's whole program. Let's say you don't have anything right now that's going to get you to $100 but you don't need that game on your table, 
because let's say you're going out on vacation or you're going to be away for a while, have them hold it. Keep adding to that cart, keep adding to that bag total. Then say, hey, I'm at 100, release it all, free shipping. Or if you're like me and you're impatient, what's $6 in shipping? Please, I'll ship it to you. You'll get it in a couple, three, four, five days, depends on where you are in the United States. Head over to miniaturemarket.com to fulfill those gaming needs that you know you have. Okay, y'all, we've been playing a lot of games recently, and with each of these games we've played, we've recorded a quick five-minute initiative for them. Well, we've compiled all these into one episode, and what we're going to be doing is giving you eight straight five-minute initiatives, so that's back to back to back to back to back to back to back, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, to back five-minute initiatives covering all different types of games, board games, card games, etc. So grab yourself a drink, a moon pie, sit back, and enjoy this extended set of five-minute initiatives. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. So in 1994, Richard Garfield, you may know this name for some odd reason. Mm-hmm. He came out with a game called Robo Rally. Now, Renegade has come back out, brought it, you know, did another re-implementation. It was, came out in 2016. And then in 2023, Renegade said, you know what? This is a great game. We need to get it on the table. And in this game, everybody is a robot and you are trying to complete checkpoints on a board. You're racing other robots. Your robots have lasers. And on your turn, you have the ability to purchase a power-up, and then you begin programming your robot, and everybody puts down five cards to program their robot, and one at a time, you flip over one of those cards, you activate your robot, you go through the steps of the racetrack, because there are conveyor belts, there are other layer lasers, there are gears that spin your robot, and that may impact your next program after everybody does the first one. Then we go to the second one, the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one. And whoever completes the racetrack first wins the game. What is frustrating about this game is your perfectly laid plan may not execute correctly. We saw that happen. I, I took a laser many times because of stupidity. <laughs> and when you take a laser hit, you can take damage, which can clog up your hand, which will later then impact your terms. Now, we played a very short game of this. I, Marty, I never played Robo Rally. This was the first time I've ever played it. I have played before, and it has the same level of satisfaction and frustration that I remember from the past. There is nothing more rewarding then planning out your five cards, I'm going to go straight here, turn right here, move up to here, turn back here, and end up exactly where you want to be on the board, as opposed to, I'm going to turn here, go here. Oh, crap. Tony just ran into me. I was not expecting that. He now pushed me. Oh, shoot. I'm on a conveyor belt. Now I've moved two spaces. Oh, great. Now I'm right in the middle of the laser. Now I'm taking damage that's going to clog up this spot this next turn. And then all of a sudden, best laid plans go to poo-poo. <laughs> then you try to spend the rest of the game correcting it. Now this plays two to six. This is uh, at six. This is mayhem. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> and I do not believe on some of these boards, they can, I can see this being a two, two and a half hour game on some of the huge boards that they've got laid out in the book. But they said, because you put multiple p- boards together, right? Yeah. We played on just one single small board. So yeah, there's, I do appreciate there's a bunch of different boards in the game and a bunch of different layouts. Yeah. And, and you can go up to six checkpoints. We only had two checkpoints. And I can see but at that point, because the damage cards that we were taking really didn't impact our hands because, well, first off, Mark had the I can get out of jail free card at any time with his robot could hover over the the drop zones. I call them the, the drop zones where you would fall off the board and have to respawn. Mark had that, and he just basically glided across the board. It was the most frustrating thing ever. Nothing, we couldn't do anything to him. And that is something in this game. You've got to also be thinking, as I plan this, where may they be? Because you may want to impact them. So yeah. So as far as, you know, this, th- there was a game that came out called Mechs versus Minions. And it had the same concepts, but there was a lot more to it. I mean, a lot of meat to that game. And it was, you know, you kept unlocking various parts of it. But here, I mean, it is just straightforward. Like you said, move one, move two, move three, or turn left, turn right, do a U-turn, power up, or do something again in your register. I really like the the haywire damaged cards that go in. They take up a slot your next turn. And you know what they're going to do. And they are. They they will they will mess you up if you're not careful. I, I like that concept. And they're random things like move forward five spaces if you hit a wall, take a damage. It, you just don't know. You try to plan for it, but you you just never know exactly what's going to happen. So we talked about the whole goal is getting checkpoints. Getting a checkpoint is really nothing more than walking over on top of a spot that's on the board that's marked with a little plastic checkpoint. And you have to do them in order. And then depending on the map that you're playing, you have so many checkpoints you're going to do. Personally, I don't think this game would be fun at two. Part of the fun is the mayhem, getting in each other's way. It's going to be tougher with two. I think four would be a sweet Mm -hmm. spot. I would not want six checkpoints. So to me, three to four players with two to three checkpoints is the sweet spot for me for length of this game. For me, this is a great family game. Easy to play, easy to uh, teach one another. So to your point, you know, with not having any family here, this is not a game for Donna and I to put it out on the table. And I do think, and we encountered this, there was a lot of downtime. I mean, we had just finished playing, you know, another game where there was very little downtime. And here, have you not selected your cards? I'm like, I'm really trying to think this through. Okay. And you do get stuck on that because you're, you are sitting there looking, well, if I end up on this gear, this gear is going to rotate me this way so that I need to play a card to rotate me back the other way. So you're trying to think through all this. And, um, and I was screwed up. I remember one time I needed to move two spaces and then one. And I, and I flipped those and I moved one and two. The one put me on a conveyor belt, <laughs> which pushed me up two spots. And then I was way off from my path. So there's a reason why this keeps coming back over and over again. It is a classic game. Renegade has done a nice job on it. Nice insert, nice painted uh, robots. So the quality of the components are way up there. If you've never experienced, it is a fun family game, fun programming game, and one that you will probably laugh with your family and friends as you just wreak havoc on everybody and shoot lasers up their butts like we were doing to Tony all night long. It was not comfortable. That is Robo Rally, Richard Garfield from Renegade Game Studios. So, Marty, you know how there's deja vu? Yes. So, the other day, I was in an antique mall, and there was this old um, Milton Bradley game that was created in 1962 
called Dogfight, World War One. Hmm. It was way more expensive than I was willing to pay for an old game. I mean, they had it like at $60. But it had various cards that you were playing and moving your planes along, and your planes had uh, various uh, formations and stands. And for a 1962 game, I was like, dang, this is complicated and looks very long. But you and I, not that this is a re-implementation, got to play Dogfight, Rule the Skies in 20 Minutes by Carlo Rossi from PSC Games the other day, where you and I are battling it out, trying to just shoot each other down. Mayhem in the skies. I loved it. Yes. That's one of the things you can do, which makes this game uh, really appeal to me, because you actually have different scenarios that you can play through in this game. It's a two-sided board. Uh, each of you control a biplane that's going to be going in a clockwise direction around the board. You're going to have tiles that you draw out of a bag. And these tiles are movement tiles that indicate, one, not only how many spaces that you're going to move, but two, also how much damage you might be able to do to the plane in front of you if you can target them. Now, if you've played the other games in this series such as Caesar and Blitzkrieg. It's the same sort of deal where you're drawing tiles out of a bag on your turn and doing something with them. But this this one does feel totally uh, different in the aspect. The others come, maybe some air majority, air control games. This is more direct combat. Tony, I will say they did some really cool tricks on this game with just a flat board of being able to get behind somebody Mm -hmm. else. Because on a couple spots on this circular track, you could execute a loop which means take a short loop outside of the main track and and come back onto the main loop. But if you time it directly, your hope is your opponent flies right by you and then you end up behind them on their tail so you can shoot them. Yeah. And on the baseboard, you had to be within so many spots of another plane. And on those uh, things you're pulling out, they'll determine if you're able to fire your guns or not. Most of them have that. Some don't. Some are just straight flying. But the advanced board, where you had to be in certain zones, I thought that was a very nice touch to add a lot of strategy to this game, and especially from the standpoint of, okay, I really need to think how to get in position versus just, because when you first see this game, you're like, all I'm doing is flying in a circle. This doesn't look mm-hmm. like fun. And, but no, the, the advanced board, it takes it to the 11. It takes it to that next stage of strategy and combat and i really enjoyed that part of it now also it's not just about shooting down they have various missions that you can put in play like blowing up factories doing reconnaissance i mean a lot of that goes in there that you're like okay it's not only shooting down planes one person has to accomplish something while someone else is defending and the person wins if they can get off the board the other person wins if they shoot them down Tracking damage was brilliantly done by just placing cubes on the board. It's covered in our video. I really like, when I first saw this, I was like, how can this be entertaining? I really did enjoy this. Yeah, and also, not only do you have different missions, you also got different biplanes. And each biplane has a certain characteristic. There's one that... Uh, flies a little bit quicker. They're a little more agile. There's one that can deal more damage. There's one that has greater defense. So you can mix and match those planes over the course of the game. And the way they did the missions were really clever. Uh, You had mentioned a couple of them. Well, one was bombing factories. The way you bomb a factory is you put these factory tokens out on the board randomly and they have numbers uh, one through five, I believe. And you have to play a tile to where you land right beside the factory and the tile that you played must be the number that matches the one on the factory. 
So if I played a number two tile to move right beside a factory and it's a number uh, two factory, you blew it up. Goal is to remove four of those. There was another one where you had to take some pictures. Uh, to take a picture of a, it was a recon type thing. You had to either play a zero, one, or two tile to land beside this place, and you took a picture of it. If you played a zero, one tile, perfect picture, great. You take that token off the board. If you played at number two, you came in too fast. The picture's blurry. So you have to swing back around and take a second picture before you can clear it off the board. So that's just some of the clever types of missions they have on this board, on this game to make it feel different every time you play. And you mentioned the different zones. It really reminded me of Unmatched. You know, in that game, you can only uh, shoot somebody in range if they're in the same color zone as you. That's exactly what's on the advanced board. To be able to target somebody... These uh, color zone that they're in must match the one that you're in currently, mm. which adds that next level of uh, tactic, tactical, tactical, tactical. Tactician? I don't, it. I don't know where you're going. We're done with that. <laughs> so if if you want somebody to be Snoopy and somebody to be the Red Baron, you can bring all that into this game. You know, once again, very fast, quick. They say in 20 minutes. Heck, in our first game, I shot Marty down in five. I did not fly well. No, y'all. he did not. He he was on my six the entire time, and I could not lose. I would try to loop behind him, and he would just follow me. It's like, dang it, because <laughs> you simultaneously reveal mm-hmm. your action tokens, so you don't know exactly where they're going to go to. You both reveal at the same time, and you draw out five tokens, play those five tokens, then draw out another five, and they're hidden, so you have no clue uh, what movement tokens your opponent has. PSC. You did it again. You got a quick game out there that I've really enjoyed. Appreciate you doing that. Keep finding these. P- made by PSC, but brought to us here in the States from Floodgate Games. That's Dogfight Rule of the Skies in 20 Minutes or Less by Carlo Rossi. Rome in a day. It didn't take it that long, especially in the game Rome in a Day. Designed by Evgeny Petrov, published by Alley Cat Games. Marty and I love our games that where you get to split and someone else chooses. Love them. Love them. So when he puts this on the table and he looks at me, he goes, okay, let me explain this game to you. It's a split, I choose type game. I said, you don't need to tell me anymore because on my turn, I'm going to flip over five tiles. I'm going to place two buildings on the tiles on the far left. I'm going to split them however I want. I can split them 3, 2, 4, 1, 2, 3, 1, 4. I can even split them 5, 0, or 0, 5. But that would be stupid. You, you do that. You don't let people see how you're splitting them. You take down your hide thing, your little... Player screen? Player screen. Thank you. That, that just disappeared on me. <laughs> and the person there looks at him and says, hmm, I'm going to take that pile... You take the other one. Now, the smaller tile gets a little gem on it, and gems are worth points at the end. What you have to explain is how to score the game. And at the end of the game, you are looking for your buildings that are next to or onto like-colored tiles. If I've got three purple buildings on five purple tiles or next to five purple tiles that are contiguous, three times five is 15. You do that over four rounds, Total up the total number of points you got. Total up the number of points you have. And guess what? The highest points wins. That is the game. This is very light. It's a fun split, you choose type of game. I split, you choose. I split, you choose. We were screwing up during game night too. I wasn't. You were. I was not. You were. 
I was not. Okay. But <laughs> fine, I was. By the way, great, great explanation of the rules. Y'all, that's really it. If y'all have played games before, you will pick this up in like 30 seconds. You're not going to correct th- me on any of these. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. I will say you, you do put the two buildings on. Everybody's dealt a card at the beginning of the game. And the card, it tells you each round, here are the color buildings that you're going to put. And they're all, uh, each card is random pairings. So when you flip those file, uh, first five tiles over, you really have no choice. You have to take whatever round number it is, take those two buildings off and put it on the two far left. So mm-hmm. you can't plan ahead. No, it's you just, can't. It's just how it comes out. And you don't cheat. I'm going to watch you flip those no, over and make sure. No, we don't cheat. We all we didn't cheat. And also, uh, each round, it goes back and forth. So one round, I'm going to be claiming from the player to my left. The next round, I'll be claiming from the player to uh, my right. And you secretly choose which one you're going to take. And then you flip a card over and indicate which one you want because you don't want to see what other people are doing uh, beforehand. And with these games, the difficulty is always dividing them up because you look at it and you're like, I can't give you, but I can't give you this. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, that's why I love us, split you choose because it's like, you want to kind of sweeten the pot for the other person so that you get what you want, but you can't sweeten it too much. Yeah, and it's like, okay, I'm going to give it to Mar- Marty. I'm going to give him his choice here. But what's Bert going to give me? Is he going to match what I need? I knew what buildings he was going to put out. But, how, oh, how did he divide them up? How am I going to get those? Really enjoyed this game. I, I mean, this is one of those that I'm like, when Marty was explaining, he was like, okay, I'm like, hey, is this going to be too simple? Yeah, it's it's simple. It's very simple, extremely. But mm-hmm. sometimes you need that in your life, especially when it comes down to the scoring. Yeah. The, and here's the thing is, uh, you and I liked it. Bert s- did not care for it. He thought it was too simple. But when games like this happen, I don't necessarily think that this is something we're going to play all of our game nights. Again, this is a small box game, which I love, which means I could plot this down in front of my friends and family that don't play games and introduce them to I Split You Choose. So here is a good entry point into this mechanism that you might want to show others how cool it is and the tough decisions you have to make. It's a thumbs up, but keep in mind, as we've pointed out, you need to tamper your expectations here. Yep. I enjoyed it just for its simplicity and ease. Uh, Same here. Again, you're going to think, man, that scoring is overly simple. 100% it is. But when you look at the audience you may be teaching it to, again, it's a perfect way to teach this style of game. So this is Roman a Day from Alley Cat Games. For those of you who have listened to Rolling Dice and Taking Aim for over 300 episodes, Lord love you. <laughs> Lord love you. What is, that's a Southern saying, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, bless your heart. Oh, that's true. Well, if you have, you know that we love our trick-taking games. We love our rummy-style games. We enjoy cards. It's how we grew up here. Mm-hmm. It's what we would always play. You sit down with your grandma and you would play a game. So we're going to talk about a game called Romy Ramy from Randolph Publishing. And when I sat down at Gen Con with the publisher, he said he wanted a card game that reminded him of playing cards with his grandmother. Oh, and it does. It really does. It's a rummy style game where you are trying to do sets and runs, but the suit doesn't matter to build the sets and the runs. Wrap your heads around that. It took a little, it took a little bit during it game did. night. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fair because we're so used to cards. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to fulfill contracts that you see before you. And you maybe say, well, I need to collect three sets and 
uh, I'm sorry, collect a set of three and a run of four. And when I do that, I will get to take that contract. And that contract has points. Also, any of the suits that I use to fulfill that contract, I remove and they become points at the end of the game as well. So for instance, the contract was for clubs and I had a set of clubs. Or I had two cards in my set of three of clubs. I would remove those clubs. You mean clovers? I, clovers. Hearts, diamonds? Cherries? Oh, see, I'm, I'm associating it straight with it. You're right. There's no spades. There's, <laughs> but right. but, cl- but it's, clovers, it's clovers hearts, are. Hearts, clovers, cl- diamonds, and uh, berries. Yep. Oh, man. Oh man, but clovers are clubs. That's fair. I thought that's what you were you were saying it because of the clover. Boy, we just. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. Each contract has a certain suit that when you fulfill it, whatever set you use to get that contract with, you pull out the matching suit as they are points at the end of the game. Yep. And how do you get cards in your hand? Are you dealt? You're dealt. Are you at the beginning? You're dealt three cards on your turn. You may pull from a set of cards from a supply of six cards face up up to three cards place them in your hand. You may then fulfill a contract if you can, if not pass to the next player. If you fulfill a contract and you're ever below three cards, which is the rule I always forget, you fill your hand back up to three. Straightforward, easy game to play. I really enjoy this game. This is one of those games that I think that, yes, I'll be able to play with my 80-year-old mother. Oh, 100%. Yeah, if they understand the concept of runs and uh, and collecting sets i think the only thing is is for teaching somebody is the whole thing you're right that suits don't matter except they kind of do for the contract that you fulfill because you really wanted them to match the contract that you're fulfilling as will be extra points at the end and there's in-game victory points that where if you you look at and say oh whoever had the most hearts contracts not heart cards heart contracts they will get points as well Total up all the all the in-game victory points. Whoever has it wins. I mean, and you really don't know based on how they've collected their cards when they fulfill their contracts. Somebody may only have a few contracts and they may have 15, 20 cards over there. You don't know. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, it's a simplistic, another simplistic game that I can get on the table very quick with a bunch of card-loving people, play it for, you know, maybe once or twice, move on to the next game. It's a, it's a, it's a palate cleanser for me. And Marty, I don't know. Did did you enjoy it? I did. I did. I kept getting screwed over. (laughs) because (laughs) I said that it doesn't look like I did. I enjoy what the game was, but I swear every time I was getting ready to go for a card, somebody took it before me. I will say this game can play two to four players. The most fun is the, and the most tension will be with four players because you just don't know what cards are going to come back to you. You can just pray, please let me take that card and then somebody will take it from you. So sometimes you can hate take two, right? I mean, you may you take cards. It's like you don't want the next person to have and you might be able to use later on yourself. But there is a trick to that too because if you take three cards, that means that's brand new three cards that come mm-hmm. out on the table that actually might be more beneficial for the next person. So there's your strategy in this card game. Mm-hmm. That is Rami Ramey from Randolph Games. A hot game from Gen Con from Lucky Ducks Games is called Cosmoctopus. It took me forever to learn how to pronounce Cosmoctopus. This is a game designed by Henry Audubon. And I will just say at its core, Tony, engine building game, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to, uh, you have a set of tiles in the middle of the board, three by three tiles. You have inky 
which is a, uh, I guess he's a cosmoctopus, a little inky head sitting right in the middle of the board when the game starts. You can take inky and move him to an adjacent uh, tile orthogonally. If you want to, you can spend a resource and move some extra spaces if you want. But those tiles will typically give you a certain type of resource, like three of one resource or a resource and take a card from the market uh, that's available in front of you to add to your hand. Then if you want to, on your turn, if you can pay for a card in your hand, you take it, do so, and you put it down on the table in front of you. Usually those cards will give you some benefits, maybe ongoing benefits, maybe a discount. Hey, the next time that you have to pay for something with the uh, with red resources, this card will give you a discount or two. Or maybe it's an event uh, that you can play. Or maybe it's the way that you actually try to win the game and it's a card that you play that over the course of the game, you're going to assign resources to it to try to get tentacles. The goal of the game, be the first to get eight tentacles and complete the Cosmoctopus. You forgot the key point of the turn. Oh, I am so sorry. At the end of your turn, thank you. Rotate the head of the Cosmoctopus to look at the next player, so they'll know it's their turn to go. And we stuck to that rule. <laughs> and we were slamming Inky down on the table, making sure that because pe- you know they were saying, "Is it my turn yet? You didn't turn him to me." Slam turn. Okay, <laughs> fine. Now, some of the, one of the things that Marty did say is that you're setting up a three by three grid, but you also have the option to set up different patterns as suggested by the rule book. So that can change your game and change up some of the strategy that goes there. As with all engine building, in my opinion, some of the times when how the cards are displayed or laid out can create some staleness to the game where people are just, you know, circling and trying to figure it out. There is a way to get two uh, tentacles at once, and that is through our knowledge, and that is collecting a lot of resources at once. Thirteen. Thirteen, and there are limits to how many resources you can have at the end of your turn, eight of each resource. Exactly, which means that those cards that give you like a cost discount, like, oh, good, you know, now I can have a discount of three, that counts towards those crowns. You get enough of those in, then you can go after that one particular type of crown, Mm -hmm. which is a great way to grab basically a quarter of what you need to win the game. The special constellations where you're filling those out, when you unlock one, you can then put it on the other one. So some of the powerful combos in those cards that you're playing is as soon as one comes unlocked, you may take from the supply a resource and place it on there. So as while I was playing, I was looking for the ones that had the multi-branch constellations. So you unlock one, all three of them would then open up. That was my strategy when I was playing that game. He's referencing the card that I talked mm-hmm. about. If you play it in front of you where you will assign resources to it, you have to assign them in a certain order. Right. But once that card is full, it will give you a tentacle and usually a, like another bonus. Yeah. But yeah, what was it? The, the relics, I think, gave you the capability of um, special powers here and there. Yes. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, the yes. relics. So, you know, it, this is a straightforward engine builder. But once again, is there any time? Uh, I mean, does it drag out? Sometimes because you've got to figure out, I can't plan because I don't know where Inky's going to be. Mm-hmm. And do I have the resources to move him or do I sacrifice my turn and hopefully he'll get back to the spot I need? That's where I think the, the game drug a little bit for us. From the, that standpoint, it was always, oh my gosh, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Oh, look, I finally got, got enough resources to play this card. Then I have to build back up again. I will say, I, I agree. The pacing of the game for me was really slow at the beginning. Uh, you know, a lot of engine builders are really slow as you try to get the cards in play. It was like taking us forever for any of us to get tentacles. Now, towards the end of the game, it seemed that ramped really quick. 
Mark went from like two to six or seven tentacles almost instantly because he had his engine cranking. But the start of the game did feel a little sluggish to me, but the momentum kind of picked up as the game went on. This game's going to take 60 to 90 minutes. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, we were still learning how the cards play out and how they synergize with one another. And maybe a couple of future plays, we could be like really fast with getting that engine built, looking for specific cards, but there's no way to cycle through the deck or through the supply at a a time. For me, good family weight game for an engine builder. It's not uh, one that, you know, I would throw out on the board for our game night because we have so many other engine builders, but this is definitely one that I think that a family could enjoy because it's very easy to understand the resources, very easy to understand the various cards and the powers that are in there that uh, anybody can pick up on that. And I I will say it looks good on the table. Uh, Inky's kind of cute. So it has kind of a whimsical look to it. So it's definitely going to be very approachable as as opposed to like a engine building game where it's dry with just collecting particular cubes or wood or stone or like that. So the whimsical part of it might, might attract people that you're trying to teach uh, this style of game to. So that is Cosmoctopus from Paper Fort Games and Lucky Duck Games. That if it's not out now, it should be any day now. You heard us talk about it in our Gen Con episode about our rush over to Oink Games booth because we wanted to get what we knew was going to be one of the hot games. And that <laughs> is Tiger and Dragon. Why was it a hot game? Because people said it was going to be a hot game. Therefore, it was a hot game. <laughs> we knew nothing about it. We knew it had Mahjong tiles. I thought We thought, that looks cool. We have no idea how it plays, but it's worth us getting it. And we knew if we didn't get it first day, we would never get a shot to get it the rest of the show. However, they kept bringing in more and more. I think it was a, a, a little mm, bait subtle. Bait and switch. Yeah, bait and switch there. We don't have it. but So in this game, Tiger and Dragon... You will have uh, numbers one through eight on Mejong tiles. The number on the tile indicates how many of that number are in the set, into the deck, into from the draw pile. Mm-hmm. So if I have a three on that tile, there are three Mejong tiles in the draw pile with a three. The concept of this game is to get rid of all your tiles. Here's the challenge. A player will play a tile in their attack row. The next player to their left can defend against that by playing a tile that is the same value. If I play a seven and you want to defend, you play a seven in the defend role. You now go on to the attack. You play a tile. Where is the strategy in this game? It is trying to figure out how you can run out your tiles so that you can be the last player to play because when you play that last tile, you will get points depending on the scenario you are playing. Some are basic scenarios like score a couple of points. Some are, if you go out with this particular tile, you will get four points. But if you ever go out with a one, you win the game automatically. That's Tiger and Dragon. What did I mess up? I don't think you messed up anything. So the thing is that the one always wins. Remember, there's only one one. I had that scenario once and I could not get control at the end of the game in order to win. You said, Tony, that is the number of tiles in the draw pile. That's almost true. That's the number of tiles in the set, but a couple are removed from the game. So there's a Mm. couple off to the side that, so you can't count actually, uh, because there are a couple removed from the game. There's no perfect knowledge here. And, yes. and, there, and there's two special tiles you have to keep. There's a tiger and a dragon. 
Uh, the tiger, I think, uh, it counts as any uh, even number, and mm-hmm. the dragon counts as any odd number. Yeah. So if you have those, are, those are kind of wild cards. So again, like you said, the goal is you want to play tiles as much as you can. Sometimes you may strategically pass. Now, if you happen to ever go all the way around the table and nobody defends, you as the person who started the attack gets to take one of your tiles and put them face down, which allows you to get rid of an extra tile and go on the attack again. And that's worth points if you happen to go out at the end. That's additional points. So once again, it's your strategy. Like if I show up and my hand's got, you know, five eights in it, I need to think through this and say, okay, how many times do I want to attack or defend? Because I know a lot of people may have eights out there and that will let me to take control. Mm-hmm. You know, when we first played this on the table, we've played it multiple times. It kind of, it didn't grab me at first, but as we kept playing and doing different scenarios, it was like, oh, okay. Okay. I see where we're going here. Yeah. In uh, the scenarios, like you said, some of the scenarios are, hey, if your last, if the person who has the last tile is a high number, they get the most points. There's one, if it's the, if it's a low number, you get the most points. And there's just a bunch of different ones, which adds a lot of variability to the game. And so what's, what I like about that, Tony, is that you just can't always have the same strategies. It's not always like, okay, you're just trying to just make sure you have the last tile. It's like, okay, I want to have the last tile, but I want one of these certain ones I have to be the last tile. So that kind of twists up how you play the game. Now, I will say it looks right on the table. And I said this while we were playing it. This honestly could have been a deck of cards. You, you could have had a deck of cards with these numbers on them and just lay down a card as an attack and somebody could defend. I like that. To get that small oink games box because people were thrown off by the size of this box because it's not the typical oink box. It's a lot bigger than that. Yeah, but I, I'm not going to hold that against because I've got boxes of all different sizes on my shelves. Uh, you know, so even if I'm traveling, I could put all the tiles into a bag, and then figure out how to how to reduce down the um, various scenarios if I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that the mahjong tiles mm-hmm. are really cool, but they aren't nest. They didn't have to be mahjong tiles. They weren't required for this game. But it, that, of course, it is fun to mix those up and have a, a handful of those. No, I, du- I dug this too. I will say uh, I like four-player way better than two-player because we played several games of two-player, but when we got in front of our game group and started playing four-player, that's where it really shined for me. Yeah, I agree. Two-player was kind of, eh, it'd be kind of like, oh, I don't know, playing rummy two-player. Right. I'm not a big fan I, of that. Yeah. Right. So I exactly agree. So once again, that is Tiger and Dragon from Oink Games. Marty, I don't know if people have decided that, you know, we don't have any friends other than you and I, but you've even mentioned that someone else <laughs> is, you know, that you've got a friend at work. I don't have any. I, I don't see anybody. And But we've gotten a lot of two-player games in lately. And one of them that just came to us from Draco Ideas is uh, one that involves submarines, one of my favorite parts of um, wartime and listening to the stories of that. But it was called Scope U-Boat by Juan Natchir. Here you've got the destroyers looking to blow up the submarine. And the submarine is trying to destroy the armada that is crossing the Atlantic to deliver goods to our allies. This is car-driven. There's That's all this is. These are cards, Marty. Yeah, but you're not necessarily playing cards from your hand. What it is is the cards set up the North Atlantic. You're going to set up a grid of 5x6 five or 5x5 five five, uh, cards that represent spots on the ocean. And the allies are going to have their boats, ships, 
on tops of some of these cards as they move across the, the top of the ocean or across that tableau of cards. Meanwhile, the Germans have a submarine out there somewhere. And this is what's so clever about it because at the beginning of the game, after you've laid out the 5x6 or 5x5, they're going to take one of their submarine cards and replace it with one of the cards on the on the front row or the row in front of them on the table. And that's where their submarine is. However, the backs of these cards all look the same to the Allied player. I have no clue where that submarine is. And I really like how you move on your turn because you can pick up a, a grid of two by two cards, put them in your hand and kind of shuffle them however you want and put them back down however you want. So that's how you pick up a batch of cards that may have may have your submarine and move it around in the ocean or in the grid of cards. You could be bluffing. You may pick up four cards that your submarine's not even in there, and it makes me think that you're there. Allies just trying to take actions to move their ships across the board. The cargo ships, destroyers are out there trying to look for the submarines. Uh, they can do this by doing sonar. And if they do a sonar, they can look at any adjacent car beside them, turn it face up. And then, or they can uh, they can do a depth charge if they can get on top of the submarine, activate a depth charge and destroy the submarine. It's all good. It's funny. In the end, it's all driven by victory points. Each scenario says, mm -hmm. earn so many points in order to win this scenario. But it doesn't feel like a victory point game. Uh, and this, you know, they had Scope Stalingrad, which was about snipers. And mm -hmm. this is, hey, let's see what we can do with it in the ocean. I mean, I like the concept of it. I like the tension. But it be, but for me, it's a shell game of, okay, where did I hide the nut under the shell? When we played the base game, before we went and used some of the advanced rules, it felt flat to me. Huh? Yeah, the cards were flat on there. It just, it didn't, the tension wasn't there. I wasn't really following the strategy. But as I thought through it and we played it later, I felt that the torpedoes, a submarine has to come up. It has to expose itself in order to get a better shot. I mean, they could fire a torpedo from across the Atlantic and hope it hits something, but that's not it. So I'll appreciate how they brought that in and the timing of the cards and launching the torpedoes and moving the boats. Can you plan that your torpedo will hit the boat as it moves? There's a lot of strategy there that I think in the very first game we played, I missed. So I appreciated the later games. Yeah, same here. And so we flipped back and forth. And I remember the later game that I played where I played as the Germans. I was starting to get the hang of the torpedoes. And literally on your turn, you just say, I'm firing a torpedo. And you show your submarine. So you do expose it at that point, And you put a torpedo token on top of the card and indicate the direction that it's going to move. And every turn, it's just going to move that direction. Well, the Allies have these really slow-moving cargo ships. And they kind of telegraph the direction that they're going to go. And they can't turn that quick. So if you get off a, a torpedo right close to one of the ships, there's a very good chance the <coughs> allies don't have time to react and change the course of that ship. And that's how you would take one out. But you do ha it has it's risky. You got to get close to that ship. And almost guaranteed there's probably a destroyer near it protecting mm -hmm. it too. And on the allies side, I'm sitting there trying to set up a wall to say, okay, you won't come after them and you're going to show yourself and I'm going to be able to track you down fairly easily. So as far as a two-player game, some of, I mean, it's not going to be up there in our tier of games that we've played recently as top, but I do like, once again, simple to set up, easy to go. I do think there is a lot to explain when you go to the advanced rules. Enjoyable. So for me, put it on the table when we need to, you know, just waste, uh, not wasting time, 
wait on some people or um, we want to get a quick two-player game. This is done in under 20 minutes. Yeah, it actually says uh, on the box 15, once you know the rules, that's definitely true. It's it's a small box. And what's interesting, uh, as you were talking, I loved how everything that we're talking about was very thematic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this doesn't feel like a pasted-on theme on cards. You actually using the terms of, you know, I'm going to submerge, I'm going to surface, I'm going to fire torpedoes. As you're playing the game, using all these terms correctly, not using generic terms, which means to me, thematically, they made something that really kind of worked with what you call a shell game. Yes, but we kind of played it the way the theme was supposed to be. I agree. I agree with you. We've been playing a lot of great two great two player games. This one is a is a clever one. I would like to check out some of their others. I believe you talked about Stalingrad. I think there may be even another one coming out soon. So now that we know these lines of games exist, I wouldn't mind trying another. That is Scope U-Boat from Draco Ideas. Back in 2015, when Plat Hat Games released Ashes, I absolutely loved that game. I collected everything. I played competitively. I spent a few years really kind of playing that game hardcore. Then a few years ago, they re-released the game called Ashes Reborn, where they reintroduced all the cards, tweaked some of the cards, and changed some of the rules. Now, I got the Ashes Reborn set and played a little bit, but didn't play nearly as much as I did when the game first came out. Well, that has changed recently thanks to them releasing a deluxe expansion called Ashes Reborn Red Rains, The Corpse of Veros. Now, Ashes has always been a head-to-head game, but with this expansion... This introduces a co-op mode or a solo mode where you're playing against an enemy called a Chimera. Now, your player turns works the exact same way. You have your player deck. The Chimera itself has a deck of enemies that it will put out there that you have to deal with. And then your ultimate goal is to try to deal damage to the Chimera itself, which is kind of like the boss. And once you knock its life down to zero, you're going to win the game. But because this game can now be played co-op, The two-player version of this game just now feels totally different. I've been playing with a guy at work that was heavily into Ashes also. We used to play a lot during lunch, but we haven't recently. Well, over the past month or so, we usually play once or twice a week during lunch where we pull out this Red Rains expansion and play against the Chimera, either with the decks that came with the set, which is really cool. It comes with a complete set of cards for a player deck, plus multiple Phoenix Born that you can choose from to go with that deck, plus brand new signature cards to go with each of those Phoenix Born, which can be used in regular PvP play. So we'll use one of those or bring our own to play against the, the big bad, basically. But as I said before, the game plays like it always has, and we love that. So there was no new rules we needed to learn for the players themselves. The only difference is instead of attacking the person that you're playing with, you're attacking the creatures that are out in front of you. And each time you take out one of those, it deals damage to the Chimera, or you could attack the Chimera itself. And at the end of every round, after everybody passes, including the Chimera, new creatures from the Chimera deck will be dealt to each one of you to have to deal with in the next round. Now, during a round, after each player has taken an action, the Chimera itself gets to take its own action. And it is really straightforward and fluid. There is a power die that you roll, and if it ends up on its power side, you put it off to the side, and once five are are placed there, you put a red rain token onto the Chimera itself. Once the Chimera has a certain number of tokens, it levels up or gets more powerful. So like in a video game, you know how you have different stages of a boss, and you, you take it down, and then it comes back a little bit more powerful and has different attacks? That's kind of what's going on here. 
And then there's another die, a D12 that you roll, and you have this card that will tell you, based on what value you roll, what's going to happen. It could be one of the face down enemies in front of you gets revealed. Another one could be it gets revealed and attacks or add another token to the Chimera itself. And the results of this die is actually going to depend on the type of Chimera that you're going up against. But what I love about that is that entire phase right there happens pretty quick. Once you understand how it works, you can resolve the AI part of the game pretty quickly. Roll a die, do something, roll a die, both of you resolve, and then you continue playing. This has totally reinvigorated our interest in Ashes. Like each week I'm like, hey, you want to you play again? Do you want to try one of these pre-constructed decks that comes with the expansion? Or do you want to try our own decks? And recently we've been building and tweaking our own decks to play against to, to see how well we can do. Now, every time we've played this game, it takes about 45 to 60 minutes to go through it, especially if you beat it. If you die early, obviously it's going to go quicker. But of course, you can also play solo. I've been talking about co-op only, but you can also do this entire game solo too, which is really nice. Also, what's really nice is this Corpse of Virus was the first release of this. They've had more. The most recent one is the Frost Wild Scourge, which adds a whole nother deck of player cards, plus some new Phoenix Born, plus some existing Phoenix Born with new signature cards, a new Chimera to go up against, and they just announced the Blight of Neverset, which is going to add yet another Chimera and even another deck of player cards and new signature cards for some other Phoenix Born. So in that in itself, it's really cool that you can buy these decks uh, have new ways to play this co-op or solo version of the game against a, a common monster, or you just use them to supplement your existing PvP deck with new signature cards for your Phoenix Born. I love it, and I'm glad to see that this just wasn't a one and done with their first release, that they're releasing this with multiple sets, because I'm going to be getting all of them. And like I said, my interest in Ashes is totally reinvigorated now. I forgot how good the game it is. And this new twist on the solo co-op variant is going to make me play it even more often. That is Ashes Reborn, Red Rains. Again, there's multiple expansions of this now. You can find out more over at PlatHatGames.com. Five-minute initiative is complete. Over at GameToppersLLC.com, Berkey has a giveaway going on, a little contest. Enter to win. That's can right. we enter? You can. I don't know if you'll win if you win. No, I mean, true. I mean, you know, you can enter all you want. Matter of fact, I tell you what, you got over 100 days mm -hmm. to get your entries in. Now, okay. What are you winning? Well, you're going to win the Young Sherlock package. This what is Sherlock that, Tony? I'm trying to tell you. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm trying to finish up. Okay, here. okay. I'm sorry. Okay, you can win a Young Sherlock 16-inch leg kick with heavy-duty lockable casters, choice of a Lestrada or Hudson game topper, premium three-millimeter stitched edge mat and storage bag, set of four collapsible cup holders, a dice tower bundle, and a game topper game tote. That winner will get this prize package or you have an option because maybe maybe this isn't what you want you can have a $500 gift card to game topper shop now if I were to win that's what I would take I, and why was that so I could then 
give the gift that keeps on giving. I would give it to my daughter. They need a new dining room table. I would say, hey, baby, use that to get a bigger table and get those leaves that you can put on top of it, and then you've got a real dining room table. Mm, okay, and nice. I saves you $500, and you can go out and find some chairs. Maybe that's what Berkey needs to do next, is figure out me some game topper chairs that are easily collapsible. The cool thing about the Young Sherlock Game Topper is that it's perfect for children's games and puzzles because it's the height of a coffee table. So this isn't the height of a regular dining room table. This is something you just put right there in your living room and be able to keep games on or for kids to play on. It's the perfect size for something like that. So if you head over to GameToppersLLC.com, you can click on the link and it will give you all the options for entering. You can do it by uh, viewing the Kickstarter. You can go and subscribe to the Facebook or on Twitter. Oh God, uh, you're you going to go over every one? You're going to go ahead. Sorry. You're halfway done now. Okay. Just keep, no, go ahead. Keep on. All right. Board game happened? theater, Game Toppers. Retweet. Okay. Uh-huh. Retweet. You get, uh-huh. A bo- you get a bonus when you complete everything. Woohoo. We love you, Berkey. Thank you That's so much right. for holding this Again. contest. GameToppersLLC.com. Enter today. All right. Well, we are done wrapping up our Gen Con stuff, the stuff we've got, the stuff we played. Oh, crap. No, we don't. We still got some more stuff over there. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of games. There are a lot of games that were announced and coming oh, out from Gen Con. I'm so, I'm so tired. I, I, I need a vacation. <laughs> what you just got back from a vacation so uh, i need another one. Oh my gosh yeah and just think we're essen's right around the corner so there's going to be a whole new glut of games coming out from essen uh just pass it just don't worry about it don't even look just, just say <laughs> we don't need none of that let's move on besides it's going to take a year for it to get across the seas that's, that's the uh, way it goes yeah some of them does take a little bit of uh, yeah. time to get over here but i may have to sacrifice gaming just so I can get some um, Boulder Skate 3 in, I, you know, I will get it hopefully loaded. I'm sure you are probably 30 hours in. Yeah, well, here's the thing is because you're on vacation, you haven't got a chance to get started yet. And I don't even tell you why you were gone. You, you do realize the expansion for Guild Wars 2 came out during that time. That's okay. I never played the uh, other one I bought. You don't need it day one. I hear you, man. Smart. Yeah. Baldur's Gate's still going like crazy. So I can't wait to see uh, for you to get some time into it. Uh, let everybody know what you think. What what class did you pick? Paladin. The number one class picked in a ranking. They did a look on the surveys. By far, everybody picks Paladin. I'll, if I'm going to play through this, I'll, I'll, might, I might want to play through it multiple times. Mm-hmm. I usually typically do Ranger or Cleric. But Cleric was like the least played of them all. Mm-hmm. If you saw on there, it was crazy. But yeah, yeah. Um, Hey, that's what's good about this game. I know people's going to play through it multiple times. We'll see. We'll see what I do with it. Yeah. I know my Neverwinter Nights character that I played was a monk. Oh, so it's funny you say that. So Nick uh, from Media Vanny, who is a designer design like uh, D&D Onslaught, he played a monk and absolutely loved it. Yeah, I, there was something about it. I didn't have to worry about armor and all that other stuff because all I did was go around punching everybody. You just had to get my dexterity and, and all that way up there at the top with the, with the stuff I was adding to him. So, yeah. It's a good option. Yep. Well, you know, I I need to get to it, so I'm going to keep rolling dice and taking names. 
Hey y'all, thanks for listening. Make sure to join our Discord channel. Lots of great discussions over there. Plus, we have a pinned section with all of our announcements, including all of our affiliate codes for various places, such as Ewin Shares and Miniature Market, where you can help out the show by purchasing through the link we have provided. Head over to SirMeeple.com, get you some taste bud pint glasses, and follow us on social media at Dyson Names. So that's it. Kiss the Goblin and Pirate's Tales, two games we got to play at Gen Con that now are available on pre-order over at spybound.com. Did you just say spybound?